incredible song, great songs this morning. Just before we begin our time in God's Word, one quick announcement. We have been anticipating the arrival of one of our missionary friends, one of our ministry partners from Bangalore, India. And he will arrive, Lord willing, the plan is that his plane arrives this evening. And um, we have him hosted all week. Some of you will be contacted uh, and probably already have been for uh, maybe some opportunities to have coffee or lunch. We, we would love to fill up his whole schedule, but he needs to rest and he has some writing to do, so we, we've got some select times. But he will be with us, Jaya Kumar will be with us next Sunday, Lord willing. Now, we're going to have a meal, a light meal, after the service next Sunday, and I'm so grateful for Lisa and company uh, helping with that. Thank you so much. But um, I need some folks to help serve and do a little bit of setup. I don't need a hundred of you to do that. I need probably three to five uh, of you to do that. So I need to do two quick things uh, before we get into the message. And I waited until now because, right, we linger, we kind of drift in around 10. So now I have everybody in here. How many of you um, are, would be able to help, like, with a little bit of setup? You wouldn't miss the sermon, which I know is your number one concern. Uh, just kidding. Uh, how many of you would, 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 uh, would, able to, would be able to help with setup? I see one, two, uh, three, four, five. I'm good. Okay, if you raised your hand, plan to help with setup. Thank you for that, okay? Now, quick show of hands. How many of you would plan to linger for a little bit next Sunday and say, yeah, we're, we're not going to have a feast for you. It'll be delicious. But we're doing little sandwiches and some soups that'll be there. Just, you know, enough that counts as lunch. Um, but, you know, it's not... Um, Ruth's Chris, like we're not sitting down for a seven-course kind of thing that we're going to bankrupt anything on. Okay, so how many of you would like to join us? You say, yeah, I'm, I'm planning on being here. Just a show of hands. I'm planning on being here, and I'll linger for lunch. Just show of hands. I'm trying to just, you're not committing to anything. Just trying to get a percentage of the room. I hope somebody else is looking because I'm really bad at this. Okay, excellent. Okay, thank you so much. That looked like a 1,000 people. Okay, here we go. Thank you for that. Make your plans to linger a bit. I'll put it in the email that goes out each week, so you'll see all that coming out this week, but I wanted to give you a heads up. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter number one. We are continuing on in our study in John, and we got a little heads up a few weeks ago about John the Baptist, kind of a, a tease of the ministry of John, St. John, writing this gospel account telling us about John the Baptist, and now we get some blanks filled in, but even that, we've got to go grab from the synoptic gospels from Matthew, Mark, and Luke to talk about something that has already happened. That'll make sense in just a moment. Uh, Mark read this morning for us the passage from our text that's kind of the more famous part of the text, right? I've got from verses 19 to 34 as the sermon this morning with the title, All About the Lamb. That's really what the text is about this morning, all about the Lamb. But there's this back and forth that happens with John the Baptist and these henchmen that are sent from the Pharisees that seem on the surface unassuming at first, but then you find out as the story unfolds Throughout the Gospels, we know the Pharisees are up to no good. There are a few named Pharisees that come to faith in Christ, later on Nicodemus being one of them, but that's not who we're talking about here. 
So in John chapter number one, while you're turning there, and if you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab a pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible, take that one with you. It's yours. It's our gift to you. Right before I read the passage, I was thinking as I read this, these these men are going to come up to John and they're going to ask the question, who are you? Now, I'm a dad of five kiddos, ranging in age from 17 to 5. And when I hear, who are you? I hear, who are you? Who's with me, right? Alice in Wonderland, Disney, the caterpillar, like that's on the little mushroom thing. And, and Alice is there in the garden. She's little, and, and she hears the caterpillar singing, I'll spare you, but I can hear the song too. Um, A-E-I-O-U, anyone? No, we'll do it after church. So she walks up to him and starts to engage, and he looks at this child that is completely out of place. She didn't belong in the garden. She didn't speak like anyone around her in the garden. She didn't look like anybody in the garden. She was completely out of place, and the caterpillar did not make it any easier, did he? Like, I love the wordplay, um, and, and let's not examine Lewis Carroll's life. Please don't send any letters on that. I just love the wordplay between the two of them. It's, it's, it makes me laugh every time. And um, he made it difficult for her, very difficult for her just to carry on a conversation. He was berating her with question after question, but not really listening to anything she was saying. I wonder, I wonder if the description of what happens here with John and these men inspired Lewis Carroll uh, to write it in that way because it, it, it kind of goes the same way. Look with me at chapter 1, verses 19. Let me read this part of the message to us. Chapter 1, verses 19, uh, and we'll stop at verse uh, 28. And this is the testimony of John. Remember when John the writer writes and uses the word John, he's talking about John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed, mark that word, and did not deny, but confessed, there it is again, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? Now we read that and we're like, I mean, do you ever like read something and you're nudging like, don't they, I mean, they know Elijah's dead, right? Right, there's a reason they say it that way, but they say, are you Elijah then? He said, I'm not. Are you not a prophet, but the prophet? Hmm. Interesting. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to them, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Does that sound familiar? Do this. That was what Elliot read. Yeah, we just heard that from Isaiah 40, verse 24. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. So it wasn't just any group of priests. It wasn't just any group in Jerusalem that sent them. It was the Pharisees. And they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? Verse 26, John answered them and said, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Now these things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan where John was baptizing. It's a fascinating account of this back and forth with John the Baptist. He's he's not having an identity crisis, but the folks around him are wanting him to have an identity crisis. 
John the Baptist's witness and ministry of Jesus has already been mentioned, but we get some things filled in right here. He's a central character in John's gospel because of his unique role that he played in the unfolding of God's redemption plan. Think about it. He straddles the Old Testament and the New Testament like a bridge to redemption. John the Baptist is the last of the Old Testament prophets, and yet he is the first of the New Testament heralds to say that Christ has come. Your first point this morning, while I'm giving you some thoughts on John the Baptist, is this. I would write down a peculiar messenger. A peculiar messenger. Just two headers this morning in the text. The first, a peculiar messenger. he's, He's declaring the kingdom of God is here because he knows Christ has arrived. There's never been anyone like John the Baptist. Jesus would say this later on of John the Baptist. As he grew and matured, he began to take on the appearance of a prophet. He had a camel uh, skin, camel hair coat. He started feeding on wild honey and locusts of the land. And I guess if you did that, you were either crazy or a prophet. They picked prophet. He spent so much time with God and, and God spent time with him. He was a great man of God, but he was a problem to the Jewish establishment because he didn't come up through the traditional channels that they wanted him to come up through. Despite his unorthodox preparation for ministry, it was obvious that God was at work in him and through him. Now, the religious leaders of the day sent a group of priests out and they asked him five questions. The first four are about, who are you? The next one, the last one, what are you doing? What gives you the right to do what you're doing? First question is pretty general, who are you? He responds by saying what he's not. I told you to mark the word, confessed, the word there is omologial, and it's the same word when John writes later in 1 John, a passage we all know that's gospel-related, where it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why do preachers tell you about words? Well, because they're fun. I mean, we spend all week studying this, so you have to deal with it, right? You just got to suck it up, act like it's interesting. No, but I tell you this to say that word confession, when we hear confess in 2023, we're thinking in a courtroom, somebody's saying a confession or they're sorry. You, some, you're looking at the dog to confess, like which one of you tore up all this? I've seen the videos, right? Which one of you? And the one dog puts his paw on the other dog to tell you who it is and does like this. Those dogs are too smart for their own good. But confession means to, to say the truth, to agree with God. That's really how we teach it as New Testament preachers. When we confess our sins, it means that we are agreeing with God and saying, no, no, here's what God says about this. This is the truth. So he says, I'm agreeing with God. I am not the Messiah. That's what John's doing here. They ask if he's Elijah. Now they know he's dead, but he's exhibiting a lot of the same characteristics of Elijah the prophet. And so they want to know, do you think you're Elijah here speaking to us again? Are you the prophet? Which is a cloak and dagger way of asking, are you the Messiah? Deuteronomy 18, 15, Moses would point the people of God to the prophet coming later. And he says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It's to him that you shall listen, the prophet 
They come again with, who are you? And he responds in verse 23, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. I wonder this morning, do you ever read between the lines sometimes? It's not always healthy to do that, but he's talking to priests. What do priests do, right? Their job is to like, teach and administer the, everything that's going on in the temple. He's talking to, to, to Levites. He's talking to those that have come to him on behalf of the Pharisees. And he's saying, I'm a voice proclaiming truth in a world where it's not being proclaimed. I'm just going to tell you that's a backhanded, like, that's, that's kind of he's dropping the boom there. That's, he's dropped the hammer hard on them and they don't even know what's going on. They're so interested and they confess this. We're just trying to get the data we need to report back to headquarters. They're not even paying attention to what he's saying. Then they say, what gives you the right? Who do you think you are? If you're none of these people, why are you baptizing folks? And he's saying, look, I'm baptizing out of obedience to God and there's coming one that I'm not worthy to untie. They don't understand what's going on. But, but please know that the Pharisees, it seems, as we see scripture unfold in the New Testament, as you get in your Bible and study the gospels, here's what you find about the Pharisees except for the named Pharisees in the scripture, it doesn't seem like they were really interested in worshiping the Messiah or accepting the Messiah. They were threatened that their system was about to be overturned. They were about to lose control, which they had, and they held on to. The adage goes, power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And there's a lot of corruption in the Pharisees in Jesus' day. We may not have Pharisees this day and age. We get uncomfortable when a preacher pushes a little too hard for us to live like we actually believe something. We want to call it legalism and say, hey, you can't tell me that. That's pharisaical. I'm just telling you, like, don't cuss everybody out. You know, it's not like I'm really putting bonds on you that Scripture doesn't hear. But uh, we, we, try to, we try to push back on that. But, but I would suggest to you also something the Pharisees had. They were also the cultural influencers of the day. Because everything that moved in and out of the city happened on, on their watch. And people acted and behaved a certain way and wanted the approval of them. So when we in 2023 see the Pharisees, I just want to caution you. We may not have religious Pharisees that we're accountable to, but society has filled the void and put folks in charge that are leading from an unrighteous place, that have an ulterior motive, that want to be in complete control of everything that you see, think, see, say, and do. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm just saying, look at what social media has done to us and how we've given the permission, strip, permission slip and the key to drive us everywhere. It's crazy, isn't it? And John pushes back on this and says, I'm the lone voice crying for truth in a corrupt world. Let's think about the thread here for just a moment. John the Baptist is calling people to repent. We know that from his other accounts of ministry. He's calling them to be baptized in a way that shows that the end of the sacrificial system is coming and a new way is coming. Neither of these things are building his brand. Neither of these things are building a following for John 
John's pointing away from himself. He identifies himself as a voice. He's not trying to build a name for himself. He calls for actions that are directly from Scripture. He's pointing away from himself, even at great public cost, with these heavies that have been sent by the Pharisees. He honors Jesus while acknowledging his own unworthiness to be in the presence of Christ. He doesn't fit in. He doesn't fit in like they want him to. He's not speaking like anyone around him. He doesn't look like anyone around him. He seems out of place with the religious rulers who are trying to make life difficult for him to do the thing that God's called him to do. But I gotta tell you something, he's not out of place. He's exactly where God needs him to be and has appointed for him to be. And and he's at the right place, and can I tell you, he's at the right time. His message is exactly the kind of message that God uses to accomplish his kingdom here on earth. What's his message? It points away from the messenger. It points to the Lord Jesus Christ, and it calls for action. And that's the kind of message God honors today as well. But it's peculiar. It's not what was happening in the mainstream. It's a peculiar messenger with, your second point, a powerful message. A powerful message. You see, if John is going to bring John's treatise on theology, or if John the Baptist is going to bring his view or his angle on the matter, then nobody's going to be set free. What does John bring? It's all about the Lamb. He proclaims Jesus. We get the John's incredible message. It's the next day. Process that, that these things are happening in a sequence of days here in the first chapter of John, chapters one and two. He's preaching and baptizing anyone who would respond to the message. He's confronted by the Pharisees' henchmen, and now it's the next day. Look with me at verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John is going to now give witness to an eyewitness account of the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus. Now, I'm going to come back to this, behold the Lamb. Let me deal with the rest of the text first and then come, loop back around for you, okay? So, let's look at where this event already happens because if you read the next couple of verses, it says, this is he, verse 30, whom comes after me, who ranks before me uh, because he was before me. Verse 31, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed. Verse 32, John bore witness We're going to get to all that in just a minute. Let's look at the account that he's about to describe. It shows up in Luke 3. Now, you can turn there if you want to, but I'll put it on the screen for you. Luke 3, 21 and 22. Here's one of the gospel accounts of the baptism. Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open. And then the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. If you've ever wondered if the Trinity was actually in the Bible, no, the word isn't. This is as good as it gets, right? There's Jesus, seen of men, the Holy Spirit descending on him bodily in the form of a dove, and the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. Fathers say that in whom I am well pleased. 
So there's the account that John now describes in verses 32 and 33 in John chapter number one. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know, verse 33, him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. There's something special about Jesus. John admits here that he knew Jesus, but has come to realize that Jesus is the sent one from God. When John saw the Spirit descend and remain on him, he knew that was the fulfillment of the promise of the Messiah. John says, I've seen it, I've testified of it. Jesus is the Son of God. Also, for those that say Jesus never claimed to be God, they've not read the New Testament because it's everywhere. Anyway, John's saying, I know this is the Son of God. He, he begins with that remarkable statement. Now we go back to that main verse. Behold. Now back on Resurrection Sunday of this past year, I preached and used this text in that sermon on behold. Stop what you're doing and fix your eyes on this. Behold. Behold. Look at this. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What does it mean? that he would use the word lamb. Of all the things he could have described Jesus as, he could have said, behold, the healer from heaven. That's true. Behold, the king of glory. Hallelujah. Behold, the son of God. Mm. Behold, the son of man. Boy, that would have really riled the Pharisees, that prophetic title from Daniel. Behold, of all the titles he could have used, the Holy Spirit anoints him, fills him. The Holy Spirit has it written down that John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's incredible how precise God is with words when things like this pop up. Because as you read just a little ahead in John, you discover they are days away at this point from the Passover celebration. I mean, people are on their way toward Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. John's choice of words here, flesh and blood probably did not reveal it to him, but our Father who's in heaven, his choice of words, the Lamb, is just one of those things that goes, like when you're studying your Bible, you're in Isaiah reading, and then you go, wait a minute, and you flip around to John, you go, you get a few chapters ahead, and you're like, and John said, right? You just, I hope that's what your Bible study's like. The sacrifice of a lamb was the main event in the Passover celebration. And they did that to signify God's deliverance of Egypt from bondage. And Israel hang, held on to this, rather. They held on to that identity that they were God's chosen people and therefore really had no need of anything else except to just do what the Pharisees said do because that's all they had to do. They were kind of just going along in the motions of it. And the Passover was designed to remind them of how good God had been. But lambs were not just slain on the Passover. You see, every day, every day, I don't do this often, bear with me. Can you say that? Can you say every day? Every day, twice a day, morning and evening, 
lambs were slain in the temple. Every day. They, they, they would take a lamb and they would kill a lamb in the temple so that there would be the letting or the shedding of blood. Morning and evening, two lambs were killed in the temple. Now John the Baptist's father, again, the, all the synapses, like hang with me here. John the Baptist's father, we said his name last week, his name was Zechariah, right? Does anybody remember what he did? He was a priest in the temple. It's not a stretch to think that several days a week when Zebedee's coming home from work, he's coming home in blood-stained priestly garments. Because every day in the morning, there had to be a sacrifice. You know why? Because people sin at night. Shocker, right? And this was all they had. And between the morning and the evening, guess what would happen? People would sin. I know, not you, not Grace Covenant, but other people. This is old times, right? People would say things they didn't, shouldn't say. People would do things they shouldn't do. They would have thoughts they shouldn't have. And every day, morning and evening, morning and evening, morning and evening, a lamb was slain in the temple. Why so many lambs? Why so much blood? Because blood was required for the forgiveness of sins. The preacher in Hebrews 9 says it this way, Under the law, almost everything is purified by blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. But watch this. There's not enough lambs to keep people clean. It it, it only lasts, at best, 12 hours. What are we getting, a 12-hour cleansing here? They pointed to the one who God would send to shed his precious blood once and for all. The preacher again in Hebrews chapter 7 says that Jesus is not like those high priests that offer sacrifices daily for his own sins and then for those of the people, no, because he had no sin, but he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. Passover is just around the corner. John, the son of a priest who came home in blood-soaked priestly garments on a regular basis says, behold, the lamb who's not a 12-hour fix and not just for the nation of Israel or the people closest to the temple. Behold, the lamb of God. God's bringing his own sacrifice to the world for the whole world world man what a savior what a god can i give you two things this morning about the distinction of jesus as the lamb two sub things under this last point here the first thing i would tell you is that this lamb this lamb is the sacrifice that settled the sin debt now he's not going to the cross yet that's not happening here in john 1 But when he said the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, he's pointing to what's coming and so I've got to go there. The text pushes us there. Jesus Christ was the perfect and final lamb by God to offer his life as a sacrifice for our sins. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter number 53 that Jesus, this Messiah that was coming, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. 
But he, Jesus, would be pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. And we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Here it is, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. These other lambs would bleat all the way in to the temple. Jesus didn't. He wouldn't. He had said what he needed to say. This lamb, this lamb that John is recognizing would be the one who would redeem sinners off the slave market of sin, not just atone for sins. This lamb, the one that John is highlighting, would be the lamb to settle our debt, to to revive us and to rescue us from the tyranny of Satan's grasp on our lives. The Bible says John, St. John, writing again in 1 John 2, 2, this lamb was the propitiation, that sufficient sacrifice for our sins, and not just ours, but for the whole world. He was God's perfect sacrifice and the only one that would settle the debt. Second thing I have you write about a lamb is this lamb was our substitute that satisfied God's wrath. Well, now there's a popular topic, the wrath of God. Let's spend two hours on that, just kidding. But we can't ignore it because we're all bound for it without a savior to stand in the gap between us and the wrath of God. Well, that doesn't seem fair. God's not asking for opinions, taking a survey, and he doesn't need a Gallup poll to tell him what's popular. His way is right and true. And this gracious and loving God has given us his revelation of himself with a way of escape from the wrath of God. I don't understand how a loving God could pour out his wrath on somebody just because they didn't believe in him. I don't understand how a person can have a thought like that when such a loving God has done all that heaven can do to keep you from the wrath of God. This lamb... This lamb is the substitute for us that satisfies the wrath of God. Remember, John is calling everyone here, the Baptist is calling everyone here under the sound of his voice to repent. We are sinners in need of a Savior. The Bible says in Romans 2.5, because our heart is hard and impenitent, we are storing up wrath for ourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. This is not some hell, hot, heaven sweet, old camp meeting preacher trying to make you nervous. I'm just giving you what God says about himself. But the Bible says in 1 John 4, it's the love of God. It was manifested to us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the substitute for our sins. But God shows his love toward us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And because of that, we've been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. 
For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, now that we're reconciled, we'll be saved by his life. Because of Jesus Christ, this lamb coming, forgiveness could be offered to all for those who would trust in him and repent of their sins. They've already been paid for. Our sins have already been paid for. And they were paid for by somebody else. This lamb would reconcile sinful man to holy God. By the only way possible, the blood of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. This lamb would prove to be the sin-bearing, substitutionary, vicarious death that was required to make a way where there was no way. This lamb would be the only one that could take sinful man in one hand and holy God in the other hand and bring the two together. This lamb alone, through his death, burial, and resurrection, would satisfy the righteous anger of God and appease his wrath toward all who would believe on him and have life in his name. Because of this lamb, Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God, because of this Lamb, there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ. I'm not walking around, looking over my shoulder, looking up every time I hear a thunderclap, worried if I'm headed for the wrath of God. The wrath of God that was headed my way was absorbed 2,000 years ago on Calvary's cross. It was buried in a borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and on the third day rose to life and presented his blood as the perfect sacrifice for every sin I have committed and will ever commit and you too. That's the gospel. What a powerful message. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God. God's wrath that you and I deserve was absorbed by the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb. No wonder John says, behold the Lamb. This is the kind of message the world needs today. This message not what we think about everything, not us trying to change anybody's mind on social media about a political ideology or some slant on this school of thought or that school of thought. No, no. This is the kind of message the world needs today. We need messengers like John the Baptist who will constantly point away from themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. We need men and women and boys and girls who are confident in their identity as believers in Jesus, who are equipped to function well wherever they are, in the marketplace, on the uh, sports ground, whatever sport you're engaged in, uh, casually, wherever that might be, in the home. We need you equipped. We need you living in a way that points to Jesus. And we need you ready to give an answer for the reason, for the hope that you have in you. This world is a wilderness of truth. We are in a barren land and it's crying out for peculiar messengers just like you and me with this kind of message. As Julia comes this morning, I just want to remind you, it's all about the Lamb who takes away the sins of the whole world. That's what we're about as a church family. Grace Covenant Church, New Testament churches exist so that the people that gather together might know Jesus and love Jesus and obey Jesus together. That's what we do. It's who we are. 
If you peek under the hood or behind the curtain, I hope that you'll find out at all levels at Grace Covenant, it's all about the Lamb. You, you won't fit in the world with this kind of message. All of the gatekeepers of what's popular and what's acceptable in culture, they're not gonna like this. They're gonna press you. They're gonna make life difficult for you. You, you won't be accepted by majority culture with a message like this. You won't speak like those around you. You won't look like those around you. You won't act like those around you. People will make your life difficult, but I've got a news for you this morning. If you are on message, you are exactly where God wants you to be, saying exactly what he wants you to say when he wants you to say it. It's peculiar, isn't it? That God would use us to tell the world about the lamb. It's all about the lamb. Better, it's all about Jesus. Let's try that together on the count of three. It's all about Jesus. One, two, three. It's all about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come to you recognizing our need, Lord, to be these peculiar messengers in this wilderness age that we live in. Lord, you've given us your Holy Spirit as believers to proclaim the most powerful message the world has ever heard, that you are the Savior and we're in need of a Savior. You've come to make us new and we Submit to your will, Lord. Keep us right at the right place at the right time and help us to be ready with that message that points away from ourselves, that points to Christ alone, and that calls for a response like John's message. And Lord, for those who are here this morning who don't yet know you in that way, would you continue to work in their heart and life, convict them of their sin, which means help them to have their eyes open, that's your Holy Spirit at work, that they would desire you and to put their affection on you and off of the things of this world. We love you. Lord, we confess that you are God and we need you. And we wanna live our lives this week in a way that screams it's all about the Lamb. Let's stand together and worship.